Hey, everybody. We have Jonathan back with us this week. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We did not replace him with Joshua Khan, despite what Joshua Khan said on the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, But since we didn't have Jonathan last week, we wanted to get his thoughts on the 1978 Best Picture winner, The Deer Hunter. So, Jonathan, how do we feel about the... We're going to start with your, your, your views just on the film. Okay. Not our, and then I'm going to ask you the questions. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, so uh, let's talk about that movie. Okay. So, um, that movie was a fucking slog, like by a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> Runtime alone <laughs> was rough. Zephod! Yep. <laughs> we got uh, dogs just wrestling in my my office over here. <laughs> nice. Um, but uh, man, it just that movie did not even pick up for me to even care until like the third act and then at that point i man i was checked out hard Mm. like it just and not knowing like you know hey i know that the deer hunter has been a movie like it's been praised as a movie a good movie for many years but knowing nothing about it other than it was a vietnam movie so then i watch it and i get 20 minutes of vietnam yeah (laughs) and then out of a three-hour movie so i'm like all right this is weird um and then the whole uh, bobby d playing a russian guy is kind of <laughs> weird <laughs> like you, you you can't wait to hear what josh had to say about this <laughs> yeah so i mean it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination it, it's not something i'm going to pick up again anytime soon i might give it another chance um, Meryl Streep was kind of annoying. <laughs> um, but other than that, what, what do you think, uh, uh, seeing Christopher Walken in this kind of role? So Christopher Walken was like the only character I was interested in the entire whole fucking movie mm. because he was like that, you know, charismatic guy who was like, you know, Bobby De Niro's best friend. And I liked that. And, and, and he was basically the driving force of this movie. And being a lot, I think, in the background in an afterthought at a certain point. And then it's just randomly like, hey, we need to go find him again mm-hmm. because he wasn't there to go hunting with him. I don't know. I just Robert De Niro's character was just a dick. Yeah. I don't know if they were going for that or if they just wanted him to be a loner. I think and I think I said this on the episode that he's just kind of the the big brother of the group so yeah. he feels a lot of responsibilities for these guys and but i don't even feel that like i could like the big brother that doesn't want the family like he feels like gilbert grape <laughs> yes <laughs> like that is that is almost a perfect analogy like it's it's he only cares about sam and that's it like that that, that is all he cares about and the other guys are just like fuck you like all right Fuck us, I guess. We're kind of trying to be fun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like I said, it's it's not a bad movie, but and it's and like I hate saying this, but again, it's it, it's a good movie that wasn't made for me. Yeah. I, I I hear you about the whole Vietnam thing. I think it is often uh, you know, harkened back to the New York, New York episode where Paul's talking about how <laughs> movies are or advertised or what they're sold as. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not what a lot of people will expect when they go to watch it. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I try to go into as many things as blank as possible. And once yeah. I once I kind of realize what gear it's shifting into, I try to meet it on its level. So sometimes that's a lot easier than other times. And thankfully, yeah. like I've been watching Deer Hunter for over twenty years and didn't have much expectation going in and uh, just knew what I was in for when we got to this watch. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's let's shift over into the worsty judgments section for Jonathan. Jonathan, uh, did this film deserve Best Picture? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this movie, I mean, again, not, and I'd have to look back at the year as well, um, but everything about this movie kind of screamed Oscar bait a little bit. I I can feel that, yeah. Um, so it when, when you make a movie for the Academy, sometimes you just kind of have to go, yeah, I mean, you, you, you deserved it. You didn't, yeah. you weren't just like, I mean, it wasn't in that Oscar bait of, hey, we know how to make people cry artificially, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely was like, hey, we're making this to make a good movie to be. I was, I was shocked that you didn't bring up Superman at all because Superman came out in 1978. Okay, so yeah, Superman would have been a more preferred movie, but <laughs> does it beat it as best picture it's really fucking close gene hackman kills those movies for me i'm sorry i don't like hackman luther <laughs> yeah dawn of the dead and halloween came out that year too there you go mm. oh god i was I just was a just, really good year <laughs> yeah. i uh i was kind of binging the uh those netflix movie docs that they've been coming out with like the what are they called the, the movies that made us the movies that yeah made the us? movies that made us yeah the that made the, us. um they had the Halloween and a lot of other horror movies. Nice. So. I, yeah. I'm, I haven't watched those yet because I just think they pick really boring movies to talk about. They sometimes, they're, sometimes. They're very they like, it's, it's they, very popcorn documentary. Like. I was going to say, they're very populist films that they yeah. go for. And I understand it's the movies, movies that made us. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. So then that brings us around to, is this the worst best picture? Nope. Not even close. Um, oh. It is on the lower end of my list, though, of favorites. Uh, I got it at number 34 okay. in between Grand Hotel and A Man for All Seasons. I Okay. I have it at number seven. Wow. I think I, think I had it at number 10. So. Wow. So you guys like this movie. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, but we've had multiple watches with it over the years, and that might have something to do with it, too. Kind so of, yeah. you know, grow so into it. So we're looking and... for different things, and we're settling into it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, that may mean that I need to give it another shot. Um, I it just in a few years from now or so. Yeah, <laughs> just three fucking hours, man. And there was so hours. much that could have been cut. I'm sorry, just so much that just like the wedding scene didn't need to drag on <laughs> as long as it fucking did. That's one thing we can all agree on a little bit. I think like there, there was just there were shots of that movie. Like I, almost every scene, I'm like, I could shed five minutes off of each scene and get the exact same movie. Hmm. I can't mm. I can't wait for you to listen to the episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's transition into our this week's episode. Yeah, let's talk about a movie. Let's talk about it.
Hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. What film are we watching this week, Jonathan? Today, we're talking about Kramer versus Kramer, a movie about a New York father forced to finally parent his child and learn that there are things more important than your career. I feel like you needed some emotional music under that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was inspirational. Yeah. You know, we could have gone with like the the Disney uh, guy in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> a movie about a New York father forced to <laughs> finally parent his child and learn there are things more important than your career. Old man, look at my life. In a world. No. What? No, in a world. I like it in here. <laughs> no, I like it in here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, is this everybody's first time watching this movie? Yes. 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 Oscar <gasps> Firsties. Wow. I'm surprised by that. I, th- I figured this was a movie you would have seen, Paul. Um, this was one of those few where I had just read so much about how a different film, and I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about, but we'll get there later, mm. deserve Best Picture over this and that this wasn't the worthy winner. True. So I just kind of skipped mm. it. Yeah, oh, fair enough. So there's a few of those. Okay. Yeah. Um, so to, just spoiler warning there for future episodes. But yeah, I just I hadn't bothered. Fair enough. Same. All right. Well, let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break it down. All right. It is a chilly April 14th, 1980, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California, and our returning host for the second time is a one Mister Johnny Carson. Still bringing that weird, wild style. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, our most nominated films on the evening are All That Jazz in Kramer vs. Kramer at 9. And our most awarded film on the evening is Kramer versus Kramer at 5. All right. All right. Our best picture, of course, is Cremay versus Cremay. Beating out All That Jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, and Norma Ray. Uh, best director goes to Robert Benton for Kramer versus Kramer, beating out Nicolas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, for Apocalypse Now. Mm. Uh, he was also nominated for Best Picture. Best actor goes to Dustin Hoffman for Kramer versus Kramer. Best actress goes to Sally Field for Norma Ray, which is a very appropriate film to be talking about today here in Striketober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right wow. everybody going on strike is this the uh this is the show where she does the infamous you like me you really no like that's me? A, oh, that's a different one oh okay <laughs> because this was her this was her her on-screen debut she had been in what? tv shows like the flying nun and gidget but this was her first time on the silver screen or uh as well, like the lead actress. Okay, because she was smoking the bandit, wouldn't? She? Yeah, yeah. So she wins that. Cool. What a hottie. beating beating out Jill Clayburg for starting over. Who, of course, I said should have won. Did you Best say actress. what a hottie? Huh? Huh? Zach, did you say what a hottie to Sally Field? Dude, Sally Field's so fine. No, like Sally Field is a handsome woman. Sally Field is gorgeous. I, I was. Have you always... seen Norma Ray? 
I have not seen Norma Rash. She's she's beautiful. Fair enough. I I, I just she's always just given me mom energy. Mm. You should see Gidget. You should watch Gidget. Okay. You will you will have a completely different take on Sally Field after that. Fair also, enough. uh, there's this movie that Sally Field did just a few years ago called um, uh, My Name Is Doris. Okay. Where she falls in love with uh, a, one of the guys from New Girl, and I've never wanted to be a character in a movie so bad. There's probably better pictures, but you can see if she look. She's cutie. Yeah, like cutie. Yeah, cutie. Cutie oh, maybe more than hottie. But, you know, yeah, I, I just I don't know. <laughs> and then again, this is another one of those ones where it was like maybe Sally Field's not as hot as I'm trying to make her out to be, but she's really talented, so it pushes her like from. No, because Judy yeah. Dench will always be the most attractive woman in Hollywood. Exactly. She's but... so old, man. <laughs> now you've got my motor running. Right. <laughs> Dude, when you were uh, sending messages earlier today, you're starting to be a little down. Paul almost sent you like a gif of Judy Dench. Oh, you should be like, here you go, buddy. Would and everything me... was always cats. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, look, Judy Dench let us know in cats that cats are not dogs. And that is important. <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> moving on okay um I, I was say i was saying jill clayberg loses best actress to sally field who of course i said should have won best actress last year uh melvin douglas wins best supporting actor for being there at the age of 79 wonderful he, he beats out little justin henry who played billy the son in yeah. kramer versus kramer who was the youngest supporting actor nominee ever. That kid, man. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. That kid. Um, this is the widest age gap between nominees from 79 to eight. Nice. Which elicits Melvin Douglas to not want to show up to the Academy Awards because he doesn't agree with being nominated against an eight-year-old boy. Oh. Because one of these two, between Melvin Douglas and Justin Henry, is a literal child, and the other is eight. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I thought you were going to go with a Mickey Rooney joke there, too. but (laughs) That's disappointing that somebody would feel like that. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, it's really shitty. Way way to be a... Way to hand over the reins. Sore winner. Fucking jerk. Yeah. yeah, and he wins. All right. Hey, Mrs. Meryl Streep, after her second nomination in three movies, wins Best Actress for Kramer versus Kramer, beating or, out. Oh, is it Best Supporting? Best Did supporting. I say Best Actress? I think. Yeah, I meant Best, supporting. best supporting. Yeah, yeah. My fault. Cool. Always. I was I was so busy thinking about the next note is that she beats her castmate Jane Alexander for Kramer versus Kramer hmm. that I wasn't. Paying attention to words coming out of my mouth. Words! Best screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Breaking Away. Best screenplay based on material from another meeting. Medium. Blah, blah, blah. They they lessened. Did they lessen last last week, too? Yes. I think that's when they started. Yeah. Yeah. Tightened it up. Tightened it up. I'm sorry you missed that. It'll happen. Anyway, that goes to Robert Benton for Kramer versus Kramer. Once again, beating out Nicolas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, for Apocalypse Now. Uh, best foreign language film goes to The Ten Drum from the Re- 
Federal Republic of Germany West. Best documentary feature goes to Best Boy. Uh, and Ira Wall apparently gets up on stage and gives a uh, four-minute speech eliciting one of the Academy, the Academy president, I believe, to say that they shouldn't give Academy Awards to people from nowhere. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, good work, Ira Wall. Apparently not a phrase he knows how to say. Uh, best documentary short subject goes to Paul Robeson, tribute to an artist. Best live action short film goes to Board and Care. Uh, best animated short film goes to Every Child. Every Child. Every, Every Child. One. Yep. All, all the Damn kids. it. We weren't born yet. <laughs> yeah. Just missed it. Yeah. Missed, missed that Academy Award by five years. Bastards. Jerk offs. Ralph. Uh, no, uh, sorry. Derek Lamb. Not putting things out in the right amount of time. Right. <laughs> Dick. No, Dick Lamb is oh, with the breakfast, breakfast bunch. bunch. Oh, that, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Could be your pa- parents' fault too for not putting something out in time. You know. Well, my mom was twelve at the time, so oh, okay. Yes. As yeah. Well. My I want that. Yeah, my mom was sixteen. Mine 17. too. Uh, best original score goes to A Little Romance. Beating out Jerry Goldsmith's score for Star Trek, the motion picture. Literally the only good thing about that movie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Best original song score and its adaptation or adaptation score goes to All That Jazz. And All That Jazz. Mm -hmm. And it Uh, beats the Muppet movie. And it beats the Muppet movie. Bullshit. Uh, Also, uh, real quick aside, since... I didn't get into it. Uh, John Williams Oscar watch our podcast within a podcast. He's not nominated this year. Nope. Mm. No mm. nomination. Is he working on something else? Yeah. Yeah. He's working on something right now. Oh yeah. Best original song goes to it goes like it goes from Norma Ray giving an Oscar to Nicholas Cage's uncle, David Shire. Will no longer be his uncle in like another year and a half or so. Mm. Oh, it's Talia Shire's husband. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, Nicholas Cage's aunt, Talia Shire's husband. There you go. Yeah, the family connection we haven't mentioned yet. Probably. Yeah, so. he he's been nominated a couple times, and he's even nominated against himself for "I'll Never Say <laughs> Goodbye" from the Promise this year. Mm. Uh, but it's it's all bullshit because they. Both beat the greatest song ever written. Yeah. Rainbow Connection from the Muppet movie. Right. That is, I'm just going to say, I don't think I've seen too many people try to do it. Goes like it it goes like it goes for karaoke. Right. (laughs) And I sure wasn't dancing with my mom at my wedding to It Goes Like It Goes. Yeah. Yeah. So fuck you, Academy. Also, I don't have a uh, Kermit uh, Christmas tree ornament that sings It Goes Like It Goes. Mm -hmm. But, you know. It goes like it goes. <laughs> Hold on. Thank you. Okay. Best sound goes to Apocalypse Now. Uh, best costume design goes to And All That Jazz. I put an and there because I'm just used to saying it that way. Right. There. Um, also, have I, been, have I been missing any Kramer versus Kramer stuff? I don't think I have. Well, no. I think we've okay. got four. No, no. No, it, it it didn't go to a lot of below the line stuff. Yeah. Um, 
because best costume design, all that jazz. Best art direction goes to all that jazz, uh, beating out Alien, Apocalypse Now, and Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> God. Yeah, wow. what a what a year. Yeah. Uh, China Syndrome's in there too, but eh. yeah. Who cares? Like it's a it's a good movie. It just when I think of that movie, I'm not like, wow, what amazing art direction. <laughs> uh best cinematography. This may be one of like this may this and the visual effects categories are tremendous. Uh, I best conf- no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Best cinematography goes to Apocalypse Now, beating out 1941, the Steven Spielberg flop, uh, all that jazz, the black hole. I completely forgot about that movie. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. You can watch it. I, I might. And uh, of course, our our final uh, nominee in the category is Creme versus Creme, Nestor Almendros. Glad Apocalypse Now won that. That is one sensational looking movie. That is, oh my God. I watched it today and it is just mm. phenomenal. Um, best film editing goes to All That Jazz. And here's the best visual effects category, which goes to Alien, giving H.R. Giger a nomination <laughs> or an award. <laughs> uh, congratulations, H.R. Giger. Um, is it Giger? I've always just been that guy. I've always said Geiger. It's always been. I know a Geiger. lot of people who say Geiger. Yeah. Geiger Geiger. It's, it's just throwing me off. Um, I might find this out later. If anybody wants to look it up, you can. If any listeners out there want to shoot that our way, yeah. we'll also be interested to hear your take on it. Yeah. I feel like maybe I started saying that because I heard it in an interview at some point, but I could be, I could have just made it. Uh, all right. Uh, so Alien beats out. Mike. <laughs> Sorry. What makes Michael <laughs> Sorry, there's a YouTube video here. How to pronounce HR Geiger Geiger. Your name is? My name is Geiger. HR Geiger. Well, there you go. Wow. Okay. Well, HR <laughs> Geiger, you got it. I, 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 wow. I watched a lot of Alien supplemental features when I was in high school. So <laughs> I, I just assume I got it from there. Yeah. It's probably, you know, him pronouncing it with his own accent is. Yeah. Is authentic, so cool. Anyway, so HR Geiger beats out uh 1941, the black hole, Moonraker, the James Bond film that was Moonraker <laughs> that was rushed out to uh be a response to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> and Star Trek the Motion Picture. So um I'm confused for a moment here because our first award is a special achievement award that goes to and, and here's where I'm confused. My book says one thing and the internet says another and the internet might be right in this case. This book is known to have some typos. But I was really excited to bring this up for Jonathan because this, uh, it goes to sound editing for Alan Spurt for the Black Stallion. I was really excited about that because I thought the guy's last name sounded like some onomatopoeia that he wins <laughs> for sound editing. I was looking at it like, is his name actually Alan Splat? <laughs> And I think it might be split, but they have it in the book as spurt. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, <laughs> our honorary awards for the evening go to Alec Guinness for advancing the art of awe of screen acting through a host of memorable and distinguished performances to how Elias for his dedication and distinguished service to the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. And to John O. Alberg, Charles C. Clark, and John John G. Frain 
and appreciation for outstanding service and dedication in upholding the high standards of the Academy Motion Picture Arts and Science. Thalberg Award goes to Ray Stark. Her Schultz Award goes to Robert Benjamin. And that, my friends, is our Oscar breakdown. All right, Zach, I believe you had a prepared statement. I do have a prepared statement. I, um, you know, I'm going to say up front that I think this episode, this movie may be for me what Gone with the Wind was for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a lot of emotions talking about this and other things. And my opinion could very well be changed and shaped by the things that you guys share. Um, because there's a lot a lot can be said for and behind the scenes of this movie. So here's what I'm going to say. Um, I always watch these movies before reading anything about them so I can attempt to judge the movie on its artistic merit and c- content. Sometimes sometimes it's almost impossible to, you know, ignore the behind the scenes stories about new movies because of media coverage or in older things where stories have become industry myths and legends. I knew next to nothing about this movie before watching it, aside from the basic premise and the actors involved. Um, taking the movie at, a, at face value, it left me an emotional wreck. I had tears on my face for like a quarter of the runtime. Uh, as a child of divorce, who, as this podcast may have accidentally revealed, seems to have some mild abandonment and resentment issues, I was torn up. Um, as a father of boys, watching the movie at night while I was Parenting solo this week while my wife was visiting her grandmother, I connected with it deeply from the fatherhood perspective. Dustin Hoffman and Justin Henry are incredible together. Some of the most authentic child acting I've ever seen, especially from this era. Um, And as a person with intimate experience with people who have been beaten down by parenthood, postpartum depression, loss of self-identity and self-purpose because they're just a mom or dad now, I sympathize mightily with Joanna in the beginning. I could and might argue with her method of leaving, but I think we've all heard tragic stories of people who waited too long, didn't get out of a situation that was breaking their spirit, who ended up hurting themselves or their children. I'm a big advocate of removing yourself from a bad situation in order to save yourself. I do have some issues with how Joanna is made to be a villain, and there's some sexism in the script written by a man based on a book by a man that's impossible to overlook. We get so much time with Ted that we're sort of manipulated into deciding with him. On paper, I'm sure Joanna is even less sympathetic, though Meryl Streep has absolutely given her emotional depth and made some of her decisions make sense. As the character's written, though, I have a really hard time accepting or tolerate, tolerating the, the idea that anybody can return after abandoning their child, and this does meet the legal standards for abandonment, and then demand custody just because they're better now. That's, I don't feel like that's how it should work. Um... I think court scenes have been criticized as too dramatized, not realistic. The tender years doctrine favoring mothers was and is a real thing. I'm absolutely not a men's rights activist, and I don't want to even, I hate even talking about this, but I do believe that children need their mothers in their early years. But it's a statistical fact that nearly 90% of custody battles end up favoring the mother. Now, that's a modern statistic, and I think that's a little wild. If it was like 70-30, I wouldn't argue. I feel like that's acceptable. So the movie's 40 years old showing injustices that still happen to people. There's, I hate hearing like the ads on, I listen to FM 99, hear the lawyers for men or whatever they're called. And like, we'll help you win the custody battle. And, and it makes me sick, like hearing them because the way they approach it, but it is a a problem. Um, I'll come back to the very ending later because I think that needs to be discussed. 
I'll say a quick thing about stuff I read about the movie after watching it. Apparently, Dustin Hoffman took his method, act, method acting to violent extremes while filming this and did some reprehensible stuff on set to Meryl Streep. And I'll let anyone else discuss the details if they want. Um, yeah, so uh, let's, let's get this out of the way. This is a content warning for physical abuse uh, and uh, emotional abuse uh, because apparently Dustin Hoffman was just awful to Meryl Streep. And she said it so much back then, and she's brought it up a few times in the recent past mm -hmm. that it's kind of hard to ignore. Right. Especially like when you know that when he throws that glass against the wall, he told the cinematographer he was going to do it, but he didn't tell Meryl Streep. And she ended up like getting glass all in her hair. And that's a very dangerous situation yeah. to not tell your scene partner. Yeah. Yep. And when we were talking taxi driver, just a couple weeks ago on Thursday, Robert De Niro apparently like walked Jodie Foster through scenes so that she would feel comfortable. That's that's what yeah. you need from somebody you're acting with. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he would he would constantly scream at her. Apparently, when they first met, he he grabbed her breast. Like, yeah. Hi, Jesus. I'm Dustin Hoffman, Hong Kong. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so. Yeah, um, apparently he was he was trying to get more of an emotional performance out of her by uh, constantly bringing up John Cazale, who just died a couple months before they shot this movie. Yeah, who, mm. who you know, as we discussed, Jonathan, you, I don't know how much you know, she was living with John Cazale. She was his lover when he got lung cancer and stuck with him until the day he died. And Dustin Hoffman apparently was just throwing his name around very casually to upset her. Jesus. Yeah, yeah it's really fucking shit. And yeah. uh, as an act, as an actor, if anybody was fucking doing that to anybody in my cast, I would smack them right in their fucking mouth. Yeah. Because that's not how you treat other human beings any, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. yeah. That is not how you trust, how you, how you treat someone that's supposed to trust you on screen, mm -hmm. on stage, and... Uh, uh, apparently while making the movie Marathon Man, uh, Dustin Hoffman was doing some dumb method shit because that's not the way I act. If you can't, if you were an actor and you cannot just turn on acting, then you're I don't. an actor. You're just. Yeah. I mean. And, and... I, I hate method actors, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, will, I will change my physical appearance to match a role. Mm. I will I've shaved my beard. I will grow my hair out. Yeah. Because, you know, there's things about certain characters, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Mild method acting, like, you know, De Niro <laughs> going out and driving a taxi and, and, and doing that shit. But then you can turn it off. And like you said, coach Jodie Foster through some shit. You're not going to just be a psychopath because that's what you're playing. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not like he's method acting like it's not like he's fucking. What's his name? 30 seconds to Mars. Uh, Jared Leto. Jared Leto trying to be the fucking Joker and just being a douchebag. You're playing an everyman in almost everything you play. It almost pisses me off now because if I now I, I never knew Dustin Hoffman was a method actor, and it kind of makes me go, "How much of a dick was he when he was doing Rain Man?" Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Right. We'll get there, yeah, and we'll we gotta out. watch Rain Man later. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so apparently while on the set of Marathon Man, he was doing some dumb method shit, and he, Lawrence Olivier, just looked at him and was like, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'm like, why didn't you listen to Lawrence Olivier? Because, yeah. yeah. And I guess he also uh, smacked Meryl Streep for real without warning also, and it's just like, God. All in the name of, oh, I was just trying to, I was just trying to get her into the that's not your fucking job. You're not a director, jackass. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That. The worst part is, that I sucks. imagine... I never knew this about him, and I, yeah. I've always kind of had a respect for Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, I did yeah. too, until like a few years ago when shit came out, but... Um, yeah, I never knew. I wonder if he like felt validated when she wins her Oscar. It's like, oh, look look how I helped. I... Probably. Oh, Especially, I'll, I read his speech. Where did I read his speech? Here. So, not only do I think he felt validated, he felt... He has to feel validated because A, he gets his Oscar for this movie and B, uh-huh. Meryl Streep then gets her Oscar for this movie. Like, there's no better validation. And and his his speech is really, like, self-aggrandizing to and I don't know. Now I don't want to read it because I don't give yeah. a shit about it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's enough to know. That, Man, you guys are completely... Fuck. I know. That's so, hard. <laughs> I, I was... I wasn't even sure I was going to bring it up in the episode, but it is kind of important to the story. Yeah, it is. But anyway, we, we've said that piece. Fuck him for doing that. That's like, like I said, uh, I'm an actor and I, I've known some people who do some like weird psych up things and some weird like ways to get in character, but I've never been on a set where somebody just does whatever the fuck they want. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, I guess this is all right. Yeah. Yeah. So, All right. So let's well, actually talk about the movie. Now. So I was going to come in and before Zach said his piece there, I was like, you know what, guys? I kind of like this movie. Um, I didn't like Meryl Streep's character because, you know, I got some abandonment issues myself. And, and, but, you know, it was nice to see what a father's supposed to be like because, you know, I never got that. And, well, and, well, now, and now it's like, I, hey guys, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think any of that's invalid. So, right. Because because of what the movie is about and how it's presented. So here's the part that got me out of uh what Zach uh, of what you said. Um and I do appreciate it because it does give me more insight. Cause I know, you know, I don't dive into who's making who's written what and knowing that, you know, this character, Meryl Streep's character, written by a man not really kind of having this per- that kind of perspective it it really does throw that out there like what kind of piece of shit woman would do that to a kid is basically what i see in the movie and that's what it's trying to do and it's doing that on purpose and i never would think about that so i <sighs> this movie made me kind of go a whole i had to piece this movie in a really weird way because you get the first part of the movie is the breakup. And it's very much about Kramer versus Kramer. And then you're, you're given the middle, which is, you know, my synopsis. It's, it's a dad finally realizing, Hey, I have to be a parent. I'm not just, you know, a sperm donor. Like this is my kid and how their relationship grows from it, which, you know, you get a lot of movies like, you know, like I, I got big daddy vibes from that. 
And then you get the end, which is, you know, back to Kramer versus Kramer. And I'm just like, no, she's in the wrong. Like everything she's done is her fucking fault. Yeah. Outside of, you know, him not being a great husband. But why did you like you straight up said, I'm not taking the kid with me. Yeah. What did the kid have to do with you, your relationship? Apparently, a lot of people in the legal profession agreed with you at the time that she was in the wrong and she should not have gotten the kid and any responsible court wouldn't have sided with her. Yeah. Cause you know, I look at there again, this is working in the field that I worked with for so long. Like, Hey, this woman has pretty obvious bipolar tendencies. Like that's what's going on. Like she's, she was having a very, you know, low day that day. And just it, caused her to basically need to get away from everything but you know then she comes back because she's back on a high and now she wants her kid it just it, it kind of like again me reading maybe too much into something that wasn't supposed to be there instead of just a guy writing you know what he thinks is a shitty person so and you you've you've kind of danced around where my biggest problem with the movie lies. And that's that. Wow. Meryl Streep's name just fell out of jo- Joanna. Uh, Joanna. I feel you. Jo- Joanna. Um, yeah. Uh, Joanna's not a character. No, you don't spend any time with her to actually get to know her. And what little, what little shading that Meryl Streep was apparently able to give her because Apparently, Joanna's much worse in the book. Really? Jeez. Um, and yeah, much less of a character in the book. So what little shading that Meryl Streep was able to give her is all done in dialogue. And we don't see those things. So we don't know that those things are true. We don't know. No. Like, she's saying these things. And obviously, well, some of it has to be true because it has to be proven in court. Nobody brings it up. Yeah. But, but we don't watch her go through the process. And we don't spend any time seeing her growth so that when she comes back and she's like, I'm grown, it's like, okay, good for you. And that's what the movie wants you to feel. The language of this film is stacked against her. And I almost feel like that's a movie that could be made now. Yeah. Like I want to see her story now. Like I really do. I want to see like it it, it may not, it doesn't even have to be a redemption movie at all. It could honestly be like, Hey, she fucked up even while she was gone. But I I feel like that's something that could be like, Hey, we need her side of the story. Yeah. We don't, we don't see her darkness beforehand. So we don't know. We don't care how she feels when she leaves. And even through like the conversations later on where her friends, like, she was unhappy for a long time. It's like, okay, but she just completely left the city and left her child. And the film wants you to feel that way as you're watching this man struggle to learn how to be a father for the first time, because he hasn't, he's stuck to such rigid parental roles that come from nuclear families of like the fifties and sixties that, that he, he's not a father. So, so you get to see, you get to see him and his son like develop routines together. You get to see them get closer and have a relationship, but we don't see any of the relationship 
with her and her son beforehand where she feels like a failure i bet she's not i bet she's a wonderful mother but she like the film doesn't give a shit about her mental health yeah yeah like she's like yeah i've I've been going to a therapist and i'm better now but what are the diagnoses like what what has this therapist like told you that makes you think you're better now like yeah i or what medications has she put you on to help you feel better now? Like there's nothing about her character that makes her a character and everything with Hoffman and the kid is gorgeous. And I love it. And I was enamored by it. I just kept waiting for like the cuts to Joanna so we could see what she was up to. Cause the movie's called Kramer versus Kramer. And really it's just Kramer and little Kramer. Yeah. Oh, now, now we'll get, 10 minutes of the court like you were saying with with deer hunter you got 20 minutes of vietnam it's like (laughs) okay so we get the kramer versus kramer for 10 minutes at the end of the movie and then suddenly it's just wrapped up yeah and then and then even even as it's wrapping up like he's still we're still with him we're still we're watching his reaction to everything we never see how she reacts to to getting the child because they don't show the verdict they just cut to him and his child. And he's like, well, we went to this really wise judge because we both wanted to live with you because we both loved you so much. And I'm so magnanimous that I'm going to, I, I just agreed with the judge. And now you're going to go live with mommy and have a great time living in your own room. And like, God, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> it, it, it was a lot of growth in one character. And yeah, yeah not giving it to anybody else yeah exactly but honestly and this is the sadder part too is um the neighbor who be, was her friend and is now his friend got more character growth than the other kramer right so yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then we don't even really get to see her be a mother either like to her own children yeah we see her with her children in one scene but every every time we cut to her and him it's the two of them and their interactions with each other. And she's, she's not even like helping him learn how to be a better parent. Really? Like all their conversations are about their adult shit. And yeah, like the women are so just not characters in this movie. Yeah. It really makes me wonder what the, uh, the motivations of the author of the book. And then, you know, our director and writer, uh, same guy directing and writing this movie. What are they trying to say? Are they making a statement directly about parental custody battles and things like, yeah. And you know, I'm not saying it's, it's an injustice that he didn't, that he didn't win because that's what the movie wants you to think. There's, Mm -hmm. there is no second opinion in this movie. All of the language of this film the way it's written, the way Hoffman is performed, the way the way that Joanna just kind of sweeps in near the end of the movie and takes over the last 30 minutes to where where we're still looking at her as an obstruction to him rather than somebody who does who might deserve a second chance at having her child back. Right. Show me that. Like even even in the court scenes, every time Every time his lawyer pushes a little bit, we cut to him and his lawyer at the table together. And he's like, I, I don't know if you should have been so hard. I'm, I'm so concerned about that. And the lawyer's like, 
we got to push a little bit if you want to win. And of course, you've spent all this time with him. So you're like, yeah, he, he, he just needs to be a little tough on her so that he can get his kid back. But then her lawyer is just like, <laughs> that was the character I hated the most out of it's the entire the time. Worst. Like I spent the entire time going, please put me on that stand with this guy and I will fucking punch him. Like, yeah. <laughs> or just shut down completely. And, and anytime he starts pushing in, they show Joanna in the background, like refusing to meet people's eye contact because she just wants to win no matter what. So having to look people in the eye just makes her feel more guilty as guilty as the movie wants you to think she is. Well, all right. So on the same point, I, I didn't catch that. What I caught was more Dustin Hoffman's. Hey, when did you become this person? Well, like, like it was very much like, I got to sit here and take this on the chin while you're basically, you know, vicariously doing this to me. Yeah. Uh, the biggest example I could think of was when the, the mutual friend, the, the other mother who uh, almost killed uh, little Justin Henry in the movie, um, <laughs> because that's what women be doing. She was so busy talking. She couldn't take care of Dustin Hoffman's child. I didn't see him moving <laughs> off the goddamn bench. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, so the, the one time I can think of is when, when she's getting grilled and she's like trying to, she's like, but you haven't been there. You don't know him. He's a different man now. And she's just in the background like, yeah, don't look at me, bitch. Yeah. But yeah, no. Uh, and again, you, we're funneling all the feeling of the film through Dustin Hoffman. He's upset and he's being attacked. Like, yep. Yeah. And then, and then when he, he brings up the, um, Little Justin Henry almost losing an eye. Like you could tell Dustin Hoffman's very upset about it and he's walking out dejected and she catches him in the hallway and she's like, Oh, your feelings, your feelings, your feelings. Yeah. As he's like trying not to make eye contact with her. Like yeah. everything is about his feelings. Everything. And it made me really not enjoy this movie. Hmm. I get it. I get it. I totally do. And like, uh, you know, another behind the scenes thing, like when Meryl Streep took the role, she was she didn't like the character on paper. And like I mentioned in my little statement, she does pull as much emotion as she possibly can. In those brief moments in the beginning, when she's, you know, saying goodnight and they're saying I love you, there is so much emotion, so much unsaid that I think this is one of those movies where you can say your mileage may vary depending on what you're projecting or what you're imagining. Oh, so much. I can't <laughs> wait to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. Zach, I, I feel like you haven't had a lot to say, so I, I don't want to go on a... I dumped it all up front because I, I wanted to say what I said and then react after you guys talk. <laughs> okay. Um, I liked this movie for very selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. I did not get what that kid got in this movie. And I projected myself into the kid and it kind of was like, I, I, I want a daddy and I never got one. And you know, fuck you. And I'm just going to enjoy you, you getting your time with him because it, like the good and the bad. Yeah. So I, I just, I, it, it made me like this movie, which was the point I think of the author. But you know, now after all this conversation, 
I'm a bit more pissed off by the fact that I liked the movie as much as I did. <laughs> so it's 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 one of those movies that I recognize that my feelings were manipulated. I'm a little yes. mad about it. <laughs> yes. A little mad about it, but but like I said, my face I I I'm like going to cry now <laughs> thinking about father of boys. We we were like I said, my wife was away, so we we were making breakfast together. We were doing the schoolwork. We were, you know, I, I do this on weekends anyway when I'm not at work. So I'm not like career focused. Ted, not giving right. a shit, but I don't always get that one on one time as much as my wife does. So being here alone with them, getting them up in the morning, getting breakfast, getting the meals, uh, playing and talking about life and reading them stories and tuck them into bed and then sitting there. By myself in the dark watching this movie, I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna be the best father I can possibly be because yep. I never had that. And yep. <laughs> and it, it got me, it grabbed me and it held me and is like, damn. And yeah. then <laughs> I also yeah. got a, a fight club kept running through my head the entire time too. Where it's like <laughs> if our fathers were models for God, that whole thing, like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> like yeah. what what fucking generation were we? Except for Paul and his perfect fucking family. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Jonathan, I, I really wish you lived in my house when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> you get along with your family, too. Yeah, they were lovely. I love my family. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, I, like, I like my dad. So, yeah, there we go. You're fucking weird. <laughs> I um, And, of course, been building to this, and it has to be mentioned... They get the fucking letter. I'm not the mommy in the house, but always mommy in your heart while he's watching fucking Mr. Magoo. (laughs) Traumatizing me all over again. So I didn't even notice. Like he comes into the room and Mr. Magoo is on. I'm like, oh, this must be what Zach was bugging out about. And then they they mute it. And then he reads the fucking letter. And as he's trying to finish the letter, the kid who is very very understandably hurt and feeling mm-hmm. abandonment besides he doesn't want to listen to this horse shit anymore and turns the tv back up it's like oh my god zach must be dying <sighs> it, it i had to pause the movie and get up and walk around i was like this is not happening right now oh god i can't remember what episode we originally talked about this i know it was back in the 50s probably so i'll have to go back and revisit that but for Folks that have been with us the long haul, you know my traumatizing experience of my father leaving me during Mr. Magoo to go get his cigarettes. And so this movie opened up all those wounds all over again. All of them? Like all of them. I was just bleeding on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I I could not contain it. I so Leanne didn't watch the whole movie with me, but she watched mm-hmm. quite a bit of it. And when that scene popped up, I was cackling. <laughs> and she was like, what? What's so funny right now? <laughs> Let me pause the movie and explain this to you again. Because I'm... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and again, I, I really like all the stuff with, with Hoffman and Justin Henry. And I think it's, I think it's really well done. It's really sweet. Him like fucking up the, French toast on the first day, trying to make it in the coffee mug. And then yeah. they're, they get this kind of like silent routine going through the middle of that time. And then of course, just to make Joanna even more of a villain, <laughs> they're making 
French toast properly together like a well-oiled machine when she comes to pick them up. It's like, oh my God, just fucking rub that in. Yeah. And then, of course, she calls him down, calls Dustin off, but Doubt is like, hey, I wanted to like paint clouds in his room like I did in the room that he's there so that he'd feel like he's home and I came to take him home, but he's already home and you should keep the child. You fucking bitch yeah like now you're abandoning the child a second time and that's the moment so, where like i yeah like, i was kind of off of the rails with the film and in that moment i'm like i fucking hate this writer so much yeah, yeah. so that was the moment that i went oh okay so this is a movie about torturing a child got it <laughs> like the kid has been just fucked this entire movie and it's mm. just been nonstop, and now i see it Jesus Christ. Go on, Zach. I had, I, that's like, I hadn't solidified my feelings about the ending. I, I definitely think it goes more towards making her the villain. But at the same time, if she's still going to be in the city, perhaps they'll do what I thought the judge should have ruled. He maintains custody and she comes visits every a couple days a week. Right. And it'll be okay. Right. And my, my biggest problem with it honestly isn't that she came to the right decision it's that she came to it so late and now the child has put been put through more emotional torture yeah because because now he's been like told for weeks oh you're going to live with mommy you're going to live with mommy you're going to live with mommy (laughs) things are packed and he is so dejected and so like like i yeah when she comes to pick him up they're just sitting in silence because Neither of them wants him to leave that room. And of course she's going to, it's supposed to make you feel happy that she's come to this decision. But now he has to go through it again, where it's like, Oh, mommy wanted me. And now she doesn't want me again. Yeah. Like it's so fucked and I hate it. And it's supposed to make, it's supposed to make you feel happy. And it's not, it's terrible. (laughs) Yep. I just don't like this movie. Fair enough. And I, I, Decided to watch it before Apocalypse Now. I was like, I don't want Apocalypse Now to taint my opinion of this film. Because I know I love that film. So I don't want to watch it and then be like, I just watched Apocalypse Now. And then I was so happy that I just didn't enjoy the film. Where I was just like, I I don't feel guilty for having skipped this one for all those years now. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. (sighs) All right. Well... (sighs) Anybody else got any more notes or traumatization that they'd like to get through before we make it worse? No, I'm I'm good. I think I got everything out. All right. Uh, the last thing I'll say is just like, you know, Paul mentioned this about the parental roles and things. I think the one thing the writers get right is, you know, Hoffman's character, it, he is made sympathetic, but he's not without flaws. At least they do show his flaws and they show that he's stayed with this stricture, a strict um what a father should do and it's still an issue you know mm-hmm. there's still not enough emotionally involved fathers and husbands and it just blows my fucking mind man yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. anyway all right well there's paul that. yes is this movie in the library no it is not okay well okay this movie is not in the library of congress so I'm going to 
I guess, read off the list and you can, uh, you guys could guess which one went in first and see if you can guess the year. Okay. All right. All right. So our 1979 slate starts with Alien. All that jazz, Apocalypse Now being there, The Black Stallion, Boulevard Nights, Free Radicals, an animated short subject, Manhattan, The Muppet Movie, and Norma Ray. Hmm. So which went in first, and what year do you think it went in? I'm going to say Apocalypse Now in 1996. I'm going to say Apocalypse Now in 1992. We both got the movie correct. But Apocalypse Now went in in 2000. Jesus. 2000. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess they were so busy putting in Godfather films, they almost forgot yeah. Apocalypse Now. Yeah. So that was the earliest of this class? That was the earliest of this class. So wow. nothing went in okay. in the 90s. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Because. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Uh, the next year, All That Jazz and Manhattan get in. 2002, Alien gets in, which I think is a good year for Alien to go. Yeah, that's a good year. Awesome. Uh, Black Stallion also goes in 2002. And before I read all of them, those are the earliest films. Nice. All right. So who wants to guess what the number one movie was in 1979? Unfortunately, because of some articles I read, I already know the answer. Yeah. I think I know. Is, was it this movie? It was Kramer versus Kramer. Like literally every single article I read on this movie, like no matter what it was, was like, well, Kramer versus Kramer was the highest grossing film of its year. Thanks. Yeah. Although, <laughs> you want to take a swing at number two? Star Wars. Superman. Uh, I'm going to go... Can't remember Muppet movie? The Amityville Horror. Wow! Uh, I was trying to stay away from rated R, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kramer vs. Kramer, Amityville Horror, and Rocky Two were the top three. Oh, okay. Rocky Two came out this year. Oh, yep. I would have guessed so, that. So, let's talk about that as well. So, I have a theory of the... Last year of the decades usually being bring in the best of the decades. And there was so much greatness that came out of this year that just was not given, I feel like, enough attention. I feel like that's true. So, but I'm going to get there when we talk about a question. So let's get into our worsty judgments. So, Zach. Yeah. Does this movie deserve Best Picture? Okay, so um, let me see. We've got pause for effect. I can pull up the nominees again real quick. I know them, but I want to look at their names. I was able to watch parts of all the nominees this year um, (laughs) because I wanted to at least get a feel for uh, what they were doing. And this is my no behind the scenes strictly based on the art of the film rankings um breaking away is the one that i didn't get to watch uh so that stays at my five for now um norma ray i've watched about half of it and i'm really liking it but it's not as good as my top three Uh, so we got Breaking Away, the Norma Ray, and I've got Kramer versus Kramer at my number three spot. Um, behind all that jazz in Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is a godly movie. It's 
incredible in just about every single way. And um, I was watching it this week again. And like I said, when it went cinematography, I, it is breathtaking, absolutely flawlessly it's, uh, made. And it's preaching to the choir. Right God. Now. Um, Nicholas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, owned the 70s. There's no other way to, I mean, <laughs> with, with his uh, fellow school yeah. friends. John but, Milius, John Milius being the co-writer on this film, one of the movie Brits. Yeah, just you know, got the Godfather films. You got like the conversation, and um, what am I forgetting else that he did in the mid seventies? Crazy, Apocalypse Now should have been Best Picture, and it's one of those ones that time looks back on. It's like, yeah, that's the fucking thing. So, no, even as much as I emotionally connected with this movie for personal selfish reasons and as much of a conversation starter it was and as much of a box office success i don't believe it deserved best picture i do like the fact that it won actor and supporting actress but i don't think it should have got director either definitely not should have gone to nicholas cage's uncle no that's my answer it's a good answer um i feel like i'm being this guy a lot and i actually kind of like it uh no it does not deserve best picture and all of the movies that i think deserve best picture weren't even nominated except for yep nope that one wasn't nominated for best picture either um <laughs> so first off the movies that came out this year that make my theory feel mm -hmm. like it's got some uh some credence is uh the jerk came out in 79 yeah it did. mad mm -hmm. max came out in 1979 mm -hmm. life of brian came out 79 oh yeah ultra man came out in 1979 <laughs> And fucking meatballs came out in 1979. <laughs> so come on. A lot of those obviously aren't going to be Academy Award winning picks. The one that should have been and makes me say, fuck, you know, this movie Kramer versus Kramer should not have won was Alien. Alien is a two genre defining movie. This yeah. movie was a perfect sci-fi movie, and it was a perfect monster horror film. It yeah. was... It's a, Jaws in space. It's Jaws in space! <laughs> <laughs> and it's just... It has everything that you need to be a horror movie and to be a sci-fi movie, and you don't get that often. No. You get, like, Event Horizon is, like, the only other one that kind of comes to mind, <laughs> but comparing that to Alien, you're like... Uh. But I just, I, I feel like the, the Academy gave Alien some attention. It gave, but, I mean, it gave it an Academy Award. It did, but it really should have looked at it in a more it, best there, picture look. There should have like, been more above the line stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Director. Tom Shellick should have been nominated. Yeah. So I, I just. Yeah, Ridley Scott. Yeah. It, <sighs> like that's the part that pisses me off the most about the academy is like i know it's tough but you've done it before you have put horror films in this arena give it that attention because you're just not looking at what this movie is fucking doing mm. so yeah um and also the muppet movie i think should have gotten the best picture not i agree so Very good. yeah so that's me paul does this movie or, sorry yeah yeah does this movie deserve the best picture all right um 
Okay, so ranking the other four nominees first. Uh, Breaking Away is going at my number four spot. And I'm going to tell you exactly how the rest of this list is going to go because I gave Breaking Away four and a half stars and it's my number four. That film is incredible. It is so good. It is. It takes all the things that I think don't work as well in Rocky and fixes them and it's a better movie. Wow. I love that film so much. Uh, Also, it's Daniel Stern's first movie. Hell yeah. He is he is cute and short. Uh he's cute and gangly in that film. Uh Jackie Earl Haley is is, is incredible in it. Uh and uh why did his name just drop out of my head? Um Inner Space. Uh Martin Short? No, uh, the other guy, the one he's whose body he's in. Wow. Oh, um Dennis Quaid. Okay. Oh yeah. man, Whee! I cannot believe Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid in that movie is gorgeous. <laughs> I never seen Dennis Quaid that beautiful. And that's a beautiful man. Uh, and also apparently he's going to be playing uh, in a movie about Kurt Warner starring Zachary Levi as Kurt Warner. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm concerned about this anyway. Uh, so yeah, breaking away is my number four and it rules. It is so good. Uh, my number three is going to be Norma Ray, which is a film I hold very dear and I think it's very good and um, is a really good way to adapt a true story into kind of a fictionalized version of something um, where it's very straightforward, but it's a lot of fun. But I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, my number, my number two of these is Apocalypse Now which is a really <gasps> great film. I love Apocalypse Now so much. And again, Apocalypse Now is the whole reason I have never watched Kramer versus Kramer. It is a perfect film. My number one is All That Jazz. I, I figured it would be. <laughs> and, and I don't want to sound hyperbolic. I really don't. All That Jazz might be the greatest film ever made. I loved every fucking moment of that film. Okay, I need to see this movie. It is <laughs> mind-blowingly good. And I guess it's kind of where you guys put yourself in the shoes of uh Ted of Ted or watching Ted in or what? No, no. The the, the kid in yeah, Kramer yeah, versus Kramer. Yeah. Where you kind of vicariously living through him watching an artist be completely preoccupied by his own death was really something I gelled with. And of course, <laughs> I'm, not at, I'm not at the level of Bob Fosse. So, th- okay, this is where I wanted to tie uh, something in. I don't know if everybody listening now, all three of you, um, we lost a couple of listeners apparently because I've been saying five. Um, <laughs> I don't know if everybody watched the, the what's it, Jamie Coster or whatever doing the... Is this where you're going to talk about the thing I've been wanting to bring up? Yeah. I don't know if everybody listened to that or watched that video, but that thing was fucking awful. Okay. Real quick. I was waiting for this to happen and I was like sticking to Twitter until it finally did when Zelda Williams finally came out and said, Hey guys, could you maybe not send me the clip of somebody pretending to be my dead oh, dad during knew the that saddest was moment of his so, life? Yeah. That's so fucking garbage. Like yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. How fucking maudlin people have to be. How maudlin that stupid clip is. Um, also, 
I don't, I hope I'm not taking this away from you, but I'm wondering if the reason for the segue is because the only thing that comes in my head when you're talking about all that jazz is Robin Williams in the birdcage when he's doing the Fosse, 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 Madonna, Madonna. It's not <laughs> like, and this is funny what? also because La Caja Falls. La Caja Falls. <laughs> <laughs> and that gets, that gets nominated for, be, for best director, but not best yeah. picture. But I'll, again, I'll come back to that anyway. So I, I, um, I'll get back to Robin. Let me finish the break, the, the, the question. Um, so all that jazz is the greatest film ever made. Apocalypse now is perfect. Uh, Norma Ray is a really good story about a, a, a woman fighting for basic human rights and breaking away is an underdog sports story about four friends learning how to be human beings. Essentially all those films are incredible. Kramer versus Kramer sucks. I fucking hate it. Um, so it did not deserve best picture. Didn't deserve to be nominated for best picture with the Muppet movie, alien, the Kaja falls all sitting on the wings. Yeah. Okay. Back to the stupid Robert clip. Why do we make such shitty movies about creative people? Yeah. Mm. And maybe, maybe I hated it so much more because I saw all that jazz this week and it's the greatest <laughs> film ever made, but it's Bob Fosse after he had a heart attack while editing Lenny, which is a much better uh, Dustin Hoffman performance than Kramer versus Kramer. He should not have won that award. He did not deserve it. Um, in fact, it should have gone to Mark Sheen for Apocalypse Now because it is the best performance of 1979. Um, but it's Bob Fosse after he had a heart attack while editing Lenny and directing Chicago. And the story is a fictionalized version of that and it's told in some very smart and creative ways. And it's Bob Fosse really like coming to terms with who he is as a person and who he is as an artist and his own death. He kills himself in that movie. And Roy Scheider does gets nominated for it. And out of the five that are on there, Roy Scheider should have won that because Roy Scheider is one of the greatest actors who ever lived. And I don't think he really got his, he gets his due today. Uh, but, but it's told creatively. Like he's talking to his dead wife through most of the film. He is doing musical numbers about his, the woman he's sleeping with and his other ex-wife and his daughter lamenting his state of being. And then I have to watch this clip of some, some, uh, impressionist doing the most milk toast maudlin fucking over the camera shot reverse shot bullshit for Robin Williams. Okay. One of the greatest creative minds who ever lived. I'm not going to take away from Jamie Costa's performance. I thought he did well. He's he, fine, but he also paid for that and directed it, it. Yeah. So that's the part that bugs me. Like why this, why this moment? Because the only reason you're doing it is to pull at fucking people's heartstrings and go, oh, guys, look, Robin Williams was sad. That's why he killed himself. Fuck you so much. Fuck you so much. That's so fucking ghoulish. Like, yeah, I, there was, you could not tell me there was not another I, moment that you could have pulled from any to do moment. what Robin Williams was trying to fucking do his entire life was just to make fucking happiness. And you chose this bullshit. Like, I, Oh, I'm going to cry. I'm so pissed off right now. It's, again. No, it's maddening. <laughs> and I, I'm so fucking angry at it. Like, I, I, dude, I, 
do Robin Williams doing anything the fuck else? Right? Literally anything else. Like the birth of his goddamn daughter. Anything. It, I'm so mad that this is what exists right now and that so many fucking people fell for it. And I yep. had to see it posted positively so many fucking times. I am I am legitimate. Like my fucking ire is up right now. I am. Yeah. This isn't me like doing a fucking bit. I'm so mad. Right. And and here we have a, an artist who's looking at his own life, making himself the villain of his own life because he realizes he's kind of a piece of shit. And then yep. saying that he kind of deserves to die. Like that's so fucking mind blowing. And to have some other guy who's like, oh, I really respect Robin Williams being like, oh, let me play the scene out where his one of his best friends died. That's fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I fucking hate people because of I, shit like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, a lot. And, and again, Jamie Costa is doing really good, but because of the scene he picked, I hope he never fucking plays Robin Williams in his life. Yep. Come on the fucking podcast, Jamie Costa, so I can ream you a new fucking asshole. Yep. Let me cool down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul cools down. I'll um, mention a couple other movies I didn't really mention. I just talked about the Best Picture nominees, but obviously Alien is incredible. Um, shout out to Tarkovsky's Stalker, which is a weird one, but really fun. <laughs> if you're an, a masochist, I guess. Life of Brian is probably my favorite Monty Python movie. Oh, man, uh, it, it, it teeters that line sometimes. It is my favorite Monty Python movie. It, it, yeah. I'm the weird one who likes uh, the meaning of life more than any of them. Oh, it's so good though. Like, there's no, like, there's no wrong choice. There really isn't. Like, everything's in every Monty Python movie is in a tie for first place. It's just Life of Brian beats it out because he's a very naughty boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Warriors came out this year too. Oh, you got a Cronenberg, the the Brood. I haven't seen the Brood. Oh, that's a weird one. Yeah. And uh. Miyazaki on the scene with uh, Castle oh, uh, Agliostro. Yeah, Lupin, Lupin Third. Yeah. So. They're making a live action of that too. Or they're re bringing it back or something. I thought I there know. was like a Netflix adaptation of it somehow. There's yeah. a Netflix live action series that's French and it's called Lupin, but it's not Lupin the Third. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I give the Star Trek motion picture shit, it at least was like enough to give us Star Trek 2. In Star Trek Four and every yeah. other Star Trek movie up until Generations and then good movies until the last few. But uh I don't yeah. like Insurrection. Insurrection is okay. You know, I haven't watched Insurrection since it's it's it's, it's maybe better theater, than Nemesis. So. I, I so. like Nemesis. Oh, I love Nemesis. <sighs> I maybe it's because it was a lot of data and I've always loved data. And then and I get that, but I also just get like I don't understand why somebody is like, I don't know who directed Nemesis, but whoever they was, was just I think, big into BDSM. It wasn't was Jonathan Frakes. I, I, <laughs> I think it was Frakes or Spiner. No, I got to look here. It might have been Spiner, honestly. Uh, give me a second. I have to make sure now. Because I don't know. I just feel like Frakes was a little bit more wholesome. Uh, Stuart Baird. Oh, okay. So who wrote it? Who wrote it was... Uh, John Logan and Rick Berman. Oh, John Logan, really? Okay. And Brent Spiner. Uh, there we go. That's that's. I, I, I thought Spiner was on the creative team somewhere. Yep. Um, 
also Berman's that guy that did like came on to the show and like wrote all the movies. Yeah. Anyway, all right. All right. So now, all right. now that I've completely derailed us with the worst fucking thing that's happened on the internet ever. Yeah. Uh good to get it on the record. Yeah. Also also Spike Lee should direct Rob Williams's uh oh, biography yes. if it happens. It's gonna happen. I still don't think it should happen any. No, it should soon. never happen. That's a terrible idea. I don't. I think it, it what they should mm. do is an animated film like Waking Life or something with people talking about him. Yo, I'd watch this. I, no, I'd cry the entire fucking time. I, I, I totally I totally end today. I think that they should cast all of the actors as themselves and not age them down at all. Yeah. Like literally everybody in the movie should play themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'd cry the entire time. If if the right creative is behind it, I will cry the entire time. If yeah. it's fucking Bohemian Rhapsody, I, I just can't deal with that shit. That's fair. <laughs> I don't want Robin Williams' life be a bunch of static camera bullshit and them just cycling through his life as quickly as possible. I need to stop talking about this because I'm starting to get Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jack, question for you. Yeah. Um, is this the worst best picture? You know what? Um, again, I'll say I think more than any movie that we've really covered, this is a your mile your mileage may vary kind of thing. I understand every criticism that Paul has about it. Uh, but no, it's not the worst for me, and I actually have it at my number twenty, so it's right kind of upper middle for me um okay despite you know if if not for the shitty dustin hoffman shit and and questionable motives of the writers which i still don't know what their motives are um it might be even a little higher because the moment the movie was over i was sitting there i i was sitting in the dark my face is wet and i'm like holy shit i this this movie caught got me emotionally and i feel I'll, it. i'll tell you the one time it really hit me emotionally was when um, the one woman almost kills his child. <laughs> I keep forgetting her name because the movie doesn't want you to care about her because she's a woman. Um, and he rushes him to the hospital as fast as he can. Yeah. And the doctor tells him that he needs to put stitches in his eye. And they, he's like, you don't need to be in there for that. It's going to take like 15 minutes. He's like, no, I, I, I want to be in there. He's my son. And he holds his head as he gets all of his stitches and he's just wincing and crying and telling yeah. him how much it hurts. That was the one time where I was, I almost started bawling because yeah. I was so invested in that moment because I cried both times. My child had to go in for surgery for his ears. Yeah. And that, that really gave me some flashbacks. Anyway. Gotcha. Fair enough. Um, I'm kind of, Jonathan, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you, um, and it is, again, because of the projection. Uh, I unfortunately, not unfortunately, I, I did not rank it as high as 20. In fact, I put it at my 30 uh, in between On the Waterfront and Rebecca. Wow. Yeah, I just thought Rebecca was kind of boring. But anyway, um, I, it, it just, I liked it enough to enjoy the middle of the movie and anything that wasn't, you know, the Kramer versus Kramer, anything that was dad and son on screen was a movie that I enjoyed. Yeah. So. Yep. Paul. Paul. This movie sucks and it's bad and it's for bad people. No. Um, <laughs> no it, I'm a bad person. 
I don't like this movie. And again, I, I've, I've already illustrated why. Yeah. But it isn't without certain charms. And when it works, it really works. And when it doesn't, it really doesn't. When, whenever Meryl Streep's character is on screen, it's some of the worst writing I've ever seen. Uh, I have it down to my number 42, right under Grand Hotel, right above Great Siegfeld, and now I feel like that's too high. Mm. Uh, this is going down to number 45. I'm putting it right above Around the World in 80 Days and right under All the Kingsmen. I do not like this movie, and it did not deserve Best Picture. And uh, Jamie Costa is the human version of this movie. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well done, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right well i think that is where we're going to call it here today my name is jonathan pierce you can find me on the twitter on the letterbox where i do have a list finally and on the twitch at twitch.tv at all torn underscore occam zach where can we find you find me on critiker zach master x-a-k-k-m-a-s-t-e-r tiktok house havoc or letterboxed by my name paul thank you um thank you uh, you can follow me at Father of the Fear across all platforms of Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterbox, where I keep a running tally of all the films that I watched. This week, I watched Titane, which rules. It is amazing. And a woman gets pregnant by a car. You see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. Um, so before you uh, ask Zach what we uh, watch next week, did we want to talk about the 70s real quick? Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. I, 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 I said this to myself all week. Put it in your notes because you're going to forget it. Yep. Okay. So our uh, best picture of the 1970s. So we like to rank our decade. Um, and so that I catch everybody up on whether what what we are ranking here. Uh, our films for 1970 are Patton, French Connection, The Godfather, The Sting, The Godfather Part 2, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Rocky, Annie Hall, The Deer Hunter, and Creme versus Creme. So, Jonathan. Yes. Were the 1970s the worst decade for Best Picture? No. What? The 1970s has a problem for me. Okay. The 1970s is kind of where New Hollywood really started to kind of pick up there a lot. And we are now seeing movies that we have seen hundreds of times. And we are looking at the foundation of those movies in this decade. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot in this decade, like movies like Kramer versus Kramer. Um, movies like... Uh, the French Connection, especially uh, the Sting, uh, even Rocky. We've we've seen all the Rockies now, um, but the Godfather movies alone make the seventies stand out. Mm-hmm. So, no, the seventies are probably in my like so far second or third best decade. Okay, yeah, I. I... <laughs> I'll just replay what Jonathan says because I almost feel exactly the same word for word. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, if we were just to look at the first half of the decade, I'd say it's the best first half of a decade that we've had so far. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. The second half is not as strong, especially with, you know, Kramer versus Kramer and Rocky kind of. Uh, Annie Hall. A little bit. I know for Annie Hall for you, definitely. Um, but uh, no, I'm st- sticking with the 30s as the weakest and the 60s, maybe my second weakest. 40s and 70s are probably my top two. Paul. All right. Well. I think I went on record uh, during the Midnight Cowboy and said the 60s were my favorite decade. Mm. Because there wasn't a film in the 60s that I disliked. Was it for Man for All Seasons? I thought it would have been kind of a home run of a decade. I absolutely think the 70s is incredible. And as far as like the film's the great films that won, I have four now in my top 10 from yeah. the 1970s. Okay. Two Godfather films, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and deer hunter, all of my top 10. Well, I think me too. And this would be probably be my favorite decade. If all that jazz or apocalypse now had one best picture, but because they went out on such a goddamn stinker of a film, it, it's going to get relegated down to my second place because I really think nine out of 10 is an incredible average. I think it's the best average of a decade we've had so far. That wasn't the sixties. Okay. But yeah, uh, I mean, even Rocky, which I don't think should have one best picture still good, really great film. Uh, But yeah, I've got the first two Godfather or yeah. First two Godfathers, Cuckoo's Nest, and I had The Sting at number 10, but I think uh, Deer Hunter popped that out, so I've got five of them in my top 11. Yeah, I I mean, and then I have Annie Hall at 12, uh, and Annie Hall, you know, is great. So, uh, yeah, I think this goes to my second, just because of Kramer versus Kramer. Zach, did you, real quick, I'm just curious, did, did you say the 30s was like your least? The 30s were my least. Yeah, it's weird. I think of my top 10, four of them are from the 30s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything from the 30s in my top 10. I'm just a weird guy. That's all right. I mean, I have All Quiet down at 14. Yeah. Yeah. It happened one night. It happened one night and um, you can't take it with you. Or Happened one night at uh, my 11. So I have two of them sitting right outside. But yeah, it's my eight. My... My 10 is Godfather, uh, Godfather Part 2, Godfather, Casablanca, Cuckoo's Nest, River Quiet, Sound of Music, Deer Hunter, On the Waterfront, Mrs. Miniver, and How Green Was My Valley. The stinkers of the 30s pulled it down for me because you got, you know, um, Cimarron, Grand Hotel, Cavalcade, um, Mutiny on the Bounty is okay, Ziegfeld, Mio Zola. Yeah, that's, that's really and gone And Gone with the Wind. So it's like half I, of it really sucks. I have four of the 30s in my top 10 and four of the 30s in my bottom 10. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. I think we, we need to wrap it up now. Yeah. Sorry Very I emotional went. episode. Yeah. Sorry I went so long. Yeah. Like some. No, it's good. Shit internet personality. Um, like but, I said, by the time this episode comes out, the movie's probably finished shooting. So. 
I'm sorry. But I'm sure we have a really happy film coming up next week. So what are we watching next week, Zach? Next week, we're watching Ordinary People. Oh, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Which you can stream for free on Pluto TV. Crackle. Fubo TV with a subscription. Amazon Prime with a premium subscription. Paramount Plus. It's up there. Philo. YouTube. Google. Or Vudu. You can rent it from those last three. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. All right. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Loving Up Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Worsty Pod and on Facebook at the Oscar Worsty Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five star review, like I did with Tatane, C. Tatane, uh, <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. Or Stitcher it really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Let's watch ordinary people. <laughs> oh. For Jonathan, Zach, and all the women everywhere who were very poorly represented in Kramer versus Kramer, I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>